you are so good. That that song again, I I, I get um, it's cheery, it's happy, but I I am convicted by that first phrase. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Do I honestly love to proclaim redemption through Jesus Christ? Do I really? And, I, and honestly, Lord, I, I think I, I do desire to. I understand the significance, but for me at least, Lord, I recognize that sometimes things become more important than proclaiming that. Lord, I'm pretty sure there's individuals here who could probably say the same thing. So forgive us for that. May we cherish our salvation way more. May you help us, Lord, as that is a big theme in this in this passage that we're going to be looking at. To um, again treasure salvation, Holy Spirit, help us to understand your Word this morning, apply it to our lives. May it not just be simple head knowledge, but truth that we could live by, trust in, for the rest of our life. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Jonah. Have a find, have, you're having trouble trying to find that book. Uh, I encourage you to go to the table of contents. There's no shame in going to the table of contents. That's why it's there. It says that Jonah is a tiny book in between two other tiny books, so it may be a little difficult to find it. But once you do, Jonah... We're going to be looking at uh, Jonah chapter two. Last week we looked at Jonah chapter one. They're going to do a little bit of, uh, of a bit of a little bit of a review before we move on to chapter uh, two. And I'm going to make sure I don't choke on this Ricola. So Jonah is uh, an individual we really don't know too much about. We know he was uh, a prophet. Uh, but the only other instance that he's uh, where he's brought up in the Old Testament is Second uh, Kings chapter fourteen, and he's only briefly mentioned as the prophet who gave a word to the northern kingdom to King Jeroboam that his his uh, his the boundaries of the kingdom were going to expand, uh, but that's about it. He's described as a servant of the Lord. No other details. He's from this other this place called Gar Hesed or some place weird place. No other details. The, other, the only other uh, place where Jonah is mentioned is in the Gospels, uh, two times in the Gospel of Matthew and one time in the Gospel of Luke. And each time it's uh, from Jesus. Jesus is mentioning Jonah. But when we come to this book, it's a very interesting book, the way it's, it's written. It's, it's, almost, it's almost a satire in the sense that it, 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 it kind of, it's written in a way to lead you one way and then kind of surprise you. And it brings up a lot of irony. For instance, uh, Jonah, his name means, you know, uh, he's, he's referred to here as the Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah means dove, and Amittai means uh, the trusted one or the faithful one. Well, when you read through the book of Jonah, you realize Jonah doesn't live up to that name. He's not a really a dove, gentle guy. He's not a, he's not a, a person who promotes peace, really. He's not a, he's not a faithful individual. In addition to that, what's also very interesting is even though Jonah is a prophet of the Lord, that's his, what he does, nowhere in the book of Jonah is Jonah referred to as a prophet. He's just referred to as Jonah or Jonah, the son of Amittai, which again is interesting. Not only does he not live up to his name, but he also doesn't live up to that position. 
Because you read it and you go, oh yeah, no, there's no way. He's, he's just, he, he, he should know better, but that's who Jonah is. And so when we come to chapter one, we see that he hears a word of the Lord. Well, that's typical of a prophet in those days. They hear a word of the Lord. They go and do what the word of the Lord told, tells them to do. So in, in verse two of chapter one, God says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. And Nineveh was pretty great in the sense of its expanse and is also a very significant city. Eventually it uh, became the capital to the Assyrian empire, but it was a wicked city. It was a wicked city because it was full of wicked people who did a lot of wicked things. And God says, you know, I need, I want you, uh, Jonah, to go and speak against it because their wickedness has come to me. It's almost like the, their, their smell, the wickedness, the smell of their wickedness has come to me and they stink. I need you to go and, and, uh, deliver a message that I want you to deliver. And then in, in, in verse three, it says, Jonah rose up, which is the same word that God says, arise. So it's, it kind of leads us to think, okay, Jonah's gonna do what prophets do. Hear a word of the Lord, obey the word of the Lord. Instead, it says, Jonah rose up to flee, literally to take flight, to bolt out of there, to Tarshish. Now, again, Nineveh, where he was supposed to go, was about 500 miles away, roughly. That would have taken him a few months to get there. Where he's wanting to go is going to Tarshish, which is close to 3,000 miles away, in the opposite direction. And it's so far, in fact, that we have evidence to suggest that that word Tarshish was actually used as an expression, like we use Timbuktu. Like, oh yeah, my Google map took me all the way to Timbuktu before I finally came to my destination. Like it went really, really far. So you get this idea. Jonah is like, I'm running as far away from what God wants me to do as, as far as I can possibly go. And then it adds that he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Literally in the Hebrew, it's the face of the Lord. It's, it's in the face of the Lord where we worship the Lord, where we receive the favor of the Lord. It's, it's in the presence of the Lord where we serve the Lord. And Jonah's like saying, no, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm getting out of here. I'm going all the way to Timbuktu, to Tarshish. And he just so happens to come across in the city of Joppa, happened to come across a boat heading in the direction that he's going. And he's like, oh, this is perfect. What a great coincidence. He hops on board. He's running away from God. God pursues him. And God sends a storm. And it's a pretty bad storm to the point where the sailors who, I mean, these are tough sailors who've been out in the middle of the ocean before. They know how, what to expect, but they're freaked out. This storm probably came upon, uh, upon them suddenly. It probably was just so violent. They knew that this was supernatural. So what they do is they start crying out to their gods. Okay, let's try this God. Let's try this God. Let's figure out what kind of God we offended and maybe we'll appease him. And then the storm will go away. When that doesn't work, then they start chucking all their cargo out of the, the boat to, to lighten the boat. No, that doesn't work. And so the captain goes down into the boat and who does he find? Jonah. What is he doing? Snoring, sleeping, and he's in a deep sleep. He's in that deep sleep where, you know, an atomic bomb can go off and you're just still sound asleep. It's the type of sleep that I used to have prior to kids and I miss it. And that's something I'm waiting for the resurrection um, to experience again. Uh, this, this deep, deep sleep. And the captain's like, what are you doing? Call on your God. We've tried all of our gods. It's not working. Call on your God. And maybe this will happen. You know, this will fix the problem. Jonah doesn't do anything. And again, we, we're, we're reading this and going, Jonah, how could you? That's not how a prophet of God is supposed to behave. You have access to the one true God and you're, you're not even consulting him. So he doesn't do anything. So eventually the, the crew says, hey, I got, we got an idea. Since nothing else is working, let's go ahead and cast lots. And so they cast lots and it falls on the name who? 
Jonah. So Jonah's keeping silent, but God's like, no, 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 I'm not gonna let you run away from this. I'm not gonna let you, uh, you know, escape. So it falls on Jonah and they're like, what's going on? And Jonah says, well, you know, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of, of heaven uh, who created the, the sea and the dry land. And then again, talking about irony. I fear Yahweh Elohim. I fear the one true God, which as we're reading this, we're going, not really, Jonah. You don't really revere God. Your actions kind of speak louder than your words. You know, and that's kind of what we see with Jonah. What he professes, he doesn't really live up to. There's that gap. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have that same gap, that same problem. They, pro- they know a lot of stuff, know a lot of theology, know a lot of God's word and God's truth. And, but when it comes to how they live it out, there's that gap. It's just, it doesn't, doesn't work. And that's what we see in Jonah. And so finally, the, the men are like, are you kidding me? Are you, telling, are, are you telling us, Jonah, that you serve a God who's greater than all our other gods and goddesses and who created everything and you're running away from him? And then they're finally just fed up and said, well, what should we do with you? And Jonah's like, just throw me into the ocean. Now, Jonah, again, could have easily just said, you know, take me back to the land and uh, I'll, I'm gonna go ahead and complete the task that God sent me. Instead, he just says, no, just throw me into the water. Let me die. Again, Jonah's, his heart's not there yet. He'd rather die than do what, he, what God is asking him to do. So they throw him out there and um, we don't know the, 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 the storm of, uh, finally subsides and Jonah's out there floating. We don't really know how long Jonah is floating, but we get there to, to verse 17 of chapter one. And it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now for a lot of people, unfortunately, as I was doing a study on this book, this is where it gets too much for people. I don't understand why. You know, some, some people are like, you know, I just can't, this leads me to believe, and some of these are scholars saying, you know, this leads us to believe that this is, this is a, a story that has truth with some exaggeration some fiction to kind of teach a, a, a point. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If you believe a God who created everything out of nothing, who parted a Red Sea wide enough to allow an entire nation to walk over, across on dry ground, you can't believe this? It's like, oh yeah, we believe all those things. God sending the 10 plagues, God causing water to come out of a rock. But when it comes to swallowing a guy, nope. It's like, that's just really foolish. And when we come, go to the, the New Testament, when Jesus brings up uh, Jonah, uh, he's, he's, he's having a, a dialogue with the religious leaders and they're demanding a sign. They're demanding the supernatural evidence to prove the validity of Jesus's ministry. And Jesus responds that no sign is gonna be given to you except the sign of Jonah. You want a sign? It's gonna be the sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was in a, a fish miraculously and then he came out, the son of man's gonna be put into the buried for three days and he's gonna rise. And so if God is, if this is God's word, believe it's true. And if God is the God who created the entire universe and uh, Jesus um, validates book of Jonah, that's good enough for me, you know? I'm good to believe that this is actually in a true account. It's not, fa- it's not a fiction. It's not a fable. It's not a parable. It's not 
half-truths mixed with exaggeration to prove a point. It is a true account. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and somehow, miraculously, that's my point of view, miraculously, he survived for three days and three nights in that belly of the fish, which is not a very, is not a big deal for God. It's not a big deal for God. Now, there are some scientists who are Christians who try to, you know, dive into the kind of the, the science of how that could have happened, how big the belly of the fish could have been and how the oxygen could have, and you can go down that rabbit hole if you want. Uh, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, again, I'm, I'm okay saying this is actually what happened. All right. Now, when we come, again, when we come to this, the, 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 the story, the focus isn't on the fish. I mean, most of the time people will think of Jonah, oh, the fish or the whale. That's not, the, that's not the focus. The fish is only referenced a little bit. And even though this, this uh, book is, is kind of following Jonah around, Jonah's not ultimately the focus of the book either. The focus is we see in verse 17, the Lord appointed a fish. That's who the focus is. It begins the word of the Lord. You get to the very end of the book of Jonah. It's the word of the Lord. Here, it's the Lord appointed a great fish. Again, irony here. God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh says no. God is basically commanding a giant fish to swallow up Jonah. And the fish is like, okay. It's like, whoa, that's a little surprising. But that's what happens. He's in the fish three days, three nights. That leads us to chapter two. So here we are, chapter two, starting at verse one. Now, what, what Jonah is going to bring up here, he, it says, that he, uh, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. Okay, so this is a prayer. Some people say this is like a, the Psalm of Jonah, the prayer of Jonah. But what Jonah is going to do, and it's probably most likely not the ex- full extent of his prayer. I mean, he was in the belly of the fish for three days. You know, most likely he was praying a lot more than just this little thing. You know, so this could be an easy, easily a, a summary of what he was praying But regardless, what Jonah brings up in this prayer uh, references a lot of the Psalms. In fact, some of the phrases that he brings up could almost be word for word uh, citations of Psalms, like Psalms, uh, I think, uh, let me see, Psalms 18 or Psalms 116. If you could write those down, you could kind of look and compare and contrast. Um, And it it, it kind of brings up an interesting point. You know, Jonah uh, was well-versed you know, the fact that he's reciting a lot of the truths of, of the Hebrew scriptures kind of, uh, at least it tells me that Jonah was well-versed in the scriptures. Like he read the scriptures, he studied the scriptures. And so in the middle, uh, in the midst of a really challenging time, the thing that comes to his mind are the truths of the scriptures, which as followers of Christ, believers of God, the, the Bible, that this is God's word, we would do well to do the same thing to you know, have the, the word of God richly indwell us, to have our minds constantly dwelling on God's word so that when the going gets tough, we may not be able to you know, fix the situation. We may not even know what to do, but it's the truth of God's word that will refocus us. It's the truth of God's word that will encourage us. It's the truth of God's word that will you know, stabilize us in, a, in, rather in, a, in what sometimes can be in a very unsettling situation. But anyways, Jonah's going to pray this prayer. And as we're going to see, he's very, very thankful. He's very, very thankful because he recognizes where he was and what God did for him. And he's, he's just going to be very, very thankful. And uh, there's going to be some lessons there. So anyways, Jonah chapter two, verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the stomach of the fish. 
Verse two, this is what he said. Verse two is kind of the overview of his prayer. This is what I happened. This is what I prayed. This is what God did. And then later on, he's just starting verse three, he's gonna elaborate, get some more details into this. So he said, verse two, I called out, I cried out of my distress to the Lord. Now that word distress, the Greek equivalent uh, we can find is thalipsis. It's this idea of pressure. We use it for uh, uh, trials or tribulation. It's the idea of tightness, calamity, anguish. I called out in the midst of my trouble, in the midst of this tightness, this pressure in my life. I called out to the Lord. Look what happened. And he answered me. He replied. He returned the message. He says this, I cried for help. I, 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 I requested for help with deep intensity here from the depth, literally the, the bowels, the inner portion of Sheol. Now, Sheol is a very interesting word. Um, it, it, it used, it's used multiple times in the, in the Hebrew Bible. And um, it's... In a nutshell, without getting overly complicated, in a nutshell, it's the place where the dead go. Okay, in some places it's, it's described as where only the bad people go. It's a place of punishment. Other times it's, it's even where even righteous people go. Again, in general, it's this place where the dead go. And it's not necessarily referring to this otherworldly area though that is kind of alluded to in, in scripture, but that's not really what it is. It, Sheol is basically like this, this place where your existence, your life here on this planet gets shut, gets locked in, gets imprisoned. And so once you're in there, there ain't coming out. So sometimes the, the, the Bibles will translate this as the grave because once you're in the grave, you ain't getting out of that grave. And the only way to get out, and the Bible shows this again and again in, in places like Isaiah and, and Psalms, the only way out of she- Sheol is by God, God helping you get out of Sheol. But here, it, 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 what, what, what Jonah's doing is he's using some, some imagery here to, to, just, to describe the state that he was in, how horrible the situation he found himself to be. He was in the bowels of Sheol. Like he wasn't just at the gate of Sheol, he was already in the midst of it. So I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. And what does it say? You heard my voice. The word he said uses for heard isn't just like, oh, you listen to me and just kind of, okay, that's, that's good, Jonah. No, this is the idea of listening and responding. So the thing is that, okay, he says, I called out my distress to the Lord. He answered me. Wow. I cried from hell from the depths, the bowels, the innermost portion of Sheol, and he heard me. He listened and responded to me. And really, that's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. When we pray, we, are, have, we have the opportunity to talk to the creator God, the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who placed all the planets out in their orbits and the stars and, 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 and created this world in all of its complexities. That's who we're talking to. And that God hears us and he answers us and he responds to us. Now, there, there are two disciplines that Christians just fail at. The first discipline is reading God's word, allowing the word of God to richly indwell us. A lot of times that, that doesn't happen. The other one is, is prayer. And throughout scripture, that's again, very ironic 
because both reading God's word, studying God's word, and praying is repeated all over the place in scripture throughout the Old Testament, New Testament. You see the importance, the significance, and we're even commanded to go ahead and do that. When it comes to prayer, Paul even says, pray without ceasing. Live your life in a life, as a life of prayer. And yet we stink at that. We're really sad. And I think for some people, it's, it's because they don't really understand what prayer is. For some people, they see prayer as a last ditch effort. Like after I've done everything, after I've you know, tried my best, after I've expended myself, the last thing I could do now is just pray. Have you ever heard that? You know, you're talking with someone. It's like, well, we tried everything. The, the only thing we could do now is pray. I think how insulting that might be, must be to God. It's like, you coming to me at the last second? No, the reality is it shouldn't, prayer should not be just a last ditch effort. It should be the first point of, of contact. When you look at the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had a lot of pressure in his life. And whenever he encountered a really difficult situation, it says he prayed. Even in the midst of a conversation, he prays. He goes to God first. The importance of doing that. It should not be considered just a, a simple last-ditch effort. Some people view prayer as also maybe just more like a therapy session. You know, it's like, it's just, it's just a, you know, you, you get on the couch and you just kind of let, let loose. You kind of just, whatever's burdening you, you just kind of let it out. You get it off your chest. And the Bible does say, cast your cares, your burdens upon the Lord. God is strong enough to handle our burdens, but he's not like our therapist sitting there with a pen and a pad saying, oh, that's very interesting. Tell me your relationship with your mother. You know, he's not like that. You know, he doesn't just, he, prayer is not just um, verbal processing. It's not just using God as a soundboard. No, it's a conversation which is why the Bible uses different words to describe prayer. Some verbs are just, words are just simply conversation with God. Others, it's like intercession. Uh, another word is, it's like intercession, pleading with God to intervene. You know, others, it's, it's a lament. It's, it, it's, again, there's different ways of describing prayer. Why? Because it's a conversation. You don't just ever have one conversation with someone, do you? It's always changing. Same thing with our conversation with God. That's who we're doing. We're having a conversation with God. Amazing. Another th reason why people um, may not pray is because uh, they don't think it works. Their theology is like, well, you know, God, God knows everything already and nothing happens without God allowing it because he's sovereign. Not necessarily he's a puppet master, but he's sovereign. He's still in control. So why bother praying? He's going to do whatever he wants to do. Right? So, there you go. And this is where, it's beyond my intelligence here, you guys. This is something still a mystery to me. You know, I don't understand it. I under, the Bible's very clear. God knows everything. He sees everything. He is sovereign. He is in control. Not like a puppet master, but he's in control in the sense that nothing happens without him first allowing it to happen. So, he's in control. But the world creation is not out of control. And yet, he still invites us to talk to him, to, pre, uh, to pray, to appeal to him, to plead to him, to cry out to him. So I don't get, I, I don't understand that, but it's true. You know, where Moses, you know, there's a moment in, um, in the Old Testament, God is frustrated with Israel because they're, they've just been disobedient and God's like, you know what, I'm just gonna wipe them out. 
and Moses, I, I'm just going to, you know, he's telling Moses this, I'm just going to wipe them out. And basically I'm going to start all over. And what does Moses do? He appeals to God. And eventually God changes his mind. I, that's all. I don't understand that, but it happens. You know, um, in the book of James, it says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. So this idea of if we need something, we ask and God could actually answer it. Well, that's interesting. Again, I don't understand how that works. But again, it's amazing to me that the creator God of the universe invites us to pray, to talk with him, to have that dialogue. And yet, for many Christians, that's the last resort. Or we ignore it altogether because we think it just doesn't work. I mean, again, just, uh, just another example. There's, a, there's times, uh, especially like in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, where Paul's talking to people, and he's, he's talking about how I'm, I'm informing you of a really bad situation we're in, but I know God's going to get us out through your prayers. Showing the significance of prayer. It's like, Wow. We need to be, see the significance of that. When we talk to God, we could cry out to God. He will answer us. He will hear our prayers. It may not be the answer that we want. It may not be on our same timetable, but he will answer us. And so when we, when we think, of, uh, uh, think about that, where are you right now in your life? Where do you find yourself? Are, are you in distress right now? Could you echo these words? Could you say, oh, I'm in distress. I have all this pressure, all this, this calamity, this anguish that I'm experiencing. I feel like I'm in the bowels of Sheol. Where are you at? Is that, if that's where you're at, it, you could, it could be a very, feel very lonely place. Completely hopeless. And, and in, fact, in fact, that's what Jonah's gonna elaborate, just how hopeless he was. The words you need to hear is that you can call out to God and God will answer you and God will hear you and he will respond. You need to recognize that. Wherever you are in, the, in, in distress, in the depths, the bowels of Sheol, you can crawl, cry out to God and God won't just be a soundboard. He'll listen to you and he'll respond. Again, it may not be on our, our, on our timetable. It not, might not be the answer we want, but he will respond. We have to trust him again that he is a good God and that he's going to do that. So anyways, now J- Jonah's going to elaborate on the situation, just how bad the situation was. It, very interesting, it, it, grammatically, he's going to switch. He's going to uh, basically put us in his shoes, how he felt during that moment while he was in the, uh, in the sea. And then he's going to also switch gears to see, tell us how, what he thought in that moment. And so it's, it's very interesting how he's doing this. But he says, for, for you cast me into the deep. That's, you know, we think, well, wait a minute. It was the, the, the sailors who threw Jonah into the water. But here, Jonah's recognizing that this was all orchestrated and arranged by God. So God allowed this to happen. And so he's attributing that to God. You cast me into the deep. And that word to cast literally means to like throw. And it's almost like this, like you're throwing away garbage. You're, 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 you're just not really caring about it. You're just like, just throw it out there. 
you know, you're, you're eating some chicken, there's a chicken bone, you just kind of discard it. That's kind of how he feels. He's like, you, you threw me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, into the inner portion of the sea. Now he's gonna, here's how he, 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 it fell to that moment. And the current engulfed me. It surrounded me, it, it, it encircled me. And your breakers, you know, breakers are just basically when you see waves kind of collide together and it turns into that foam or, you know, crashes onto the, the shore and it foams up. That's what breakers, all your breakers and billows, that's literally heaps of water passed over me. And like, if you've ever been to the beach and been deep into the beach, I mean, maybe not further, but the beach is big, right? And for some reason, I don't know about you, but I always feel the water feels heavier when it's hitting you. Like you're in a pool and a wave hits you and you're just kind of like, oh, yeah. You're in the ocean and a wave hits you like, oh, ah. or if you, you know that, that phrase, don't turn your back against the, to the sea. You get caught in that wave. What happens? It punches you and you're trying to get up in front. Bah, just pushing you in. That's kind of the imagery here. Jonah's like, ah, blah, getting hit by the waves over and over. This is bad. Verse four. Now he's going to think, how did he think about in this moment? Well, it's not going to be good. So I said, I said to myself, I have been expelled from your sight. The word expelled is this idea to be thrust out. It's forcefully sent out. Sometimes it's described as divorced. I have been expelled from your sight, from your attention, from your view. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Now, the way this is translated, it's like, you know, Jonah, in the midst of his despair, he does have some hope that God's going to pull through for him. And it could be that way. Um, Hebrew, because this was originally written in Hebrew, is not as distinct or definitive uh, as Greek. Both require context to really understand what's going on. Uh, But sometimes... Uh, Hebrew words are a little bit hard to really nail down. And the word there, nevertheless, is one of those words that's kind of hard to nail down. It could mean also surely or only or however. But if you dive a little bit more deeper into the usage of that word, um, and this is kind of, this is for me, this is the fun part whenever preparing these messages because it's like, it's like the matrix getting the red pill and diving down the rabbit hole. Uh, you know, just diving further, further into, into uh, what's going on here. And I'll, you know, not give you all the boring details here. And most of the information is again, a little bit above my understanding. But in a, in a nutshell, this word can also be used to, bring up a, a question or more specifically a rhetorical question. And so it could be translated how. So he says, how will I look upon, I will look again towards your holy temple, the place where God's, God's presence dwelt among this people. And I think that fits the context a little bit better because again, what Jonah is doing is he's trying to explain just how bad the situation is, just how dire, just how utterly hopeless it, it is. I've been expelled from your sight. How will I ever look again towards your holy temple? How will I ever go to your temple and worship you again? The answer is, well, you're not, Jonah, because you're going to die. So again, it's showing the helplessness, the hopelessness that Jonah is in. Verse five, the water encompassed me to the point of death. Like literally his soul is about to be snuffed out. 
the great deep engulfed me. And in the ancient times, the understanding of the water, obviously there's deeper portions of the water and it was those deep areas that other uh, uh, nations would refer to as like, you know, the the deep, uh, the, the, the place where the, the sea monsters dwell. It's very evil, very dark. And so Jonah's kind of using language saying, I'm, I'm in this nasty place. The great deep is engulfing me. Weeds or seaweeds or sea plants, whatever's in there, were wrapped around my head, literally up around my neck. Verse six, I descended to the roots or to the, to the base, to the foundation, to the extremities of the mountains. Again, the way the ancients viewed uh, the, the land, the mountains especially, like they're almost like trees. You had the mountains that stick up above the earth, but the rest of it was deep down into the soils of the earth and particularly in the deeps of the ocean, the very bottom, that's where the, the, the base of the mountains started. So he says, I've descended and that word there, I've gone down, down, down. I've fallen down to the base, to the roots of the mountains. Now, it's really interesting. We brought this up last week. Again, how this book is written, again, like almost a satire, just kind of bringing up words, repeating words, repeating phrases, uh, giving surprises. And so like in, in, in um, chapter one, it repeats the word great a few times. You know, go to Nineveh, that great city. Jonah runs away. God hurls a great wind, which causes a great storm. Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. Uh, similarly, it repeats the word down, almost showing like the, the progression of Jonah's sin. You know, Jonah is serving at the presence of the Lord. He's a prophet of the Lord. And then the Lord says, I want you to go do this. And Jonah's like, nope, not going to go. So what does he do? He goes down to the city of Joppa, which is a port city. He goes down into the boat. Eventually he lays down uh, to go to sleep. He's thrown into the, the ocean. He gets swallowed up. And now he's fallen down, sunk down to the roots of the mountain. Again, Jonah's just kind of showing the progress, uh, uh, the progression of his choices of his life. This is what this is what has where he, it has led him. And I want to read a quote because we brought this up again last week. Is sin never helps us? It never it never elevates us. It's always bringing us down, down, down. When we live in sin, it's always bringing us down. That's the that's what sin is that's what the enemy wants the enemy wants us to just go down 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 this is a quote it's not mine but i heard it and it was just one of those quotes that i just i really uh hit me but it says uh, sin will always take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to spend i'm gonna read that again because it's just it was really pretty pointed there sin will always take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to spend. That's sin. It starts off maybe as just not that big of a deal and it just goes down deeper and deeper and deeper. Pretty soon you're like, Jonah, I'm at the base of the mountains. I'm at the roots of the mountains. Bad place to be. Continues. So the, I descended to the roots of the mountains. Continues, verse six, the earth with its bars, literally its gates, was around me forever. Again, it's this idea of going down into the, to the depths of Sheol. It's the, the idea of gates have closed behind him and there's no going back. The, the gate has been shut. It's locked. He can't get it out. He doesn't have the key. Again, very hopeless situation. And you could think, well, Jonah, we already kind of got the idea you were in a hopeless situation back in verse four and verse five. 
But again, Jonah's really trying to nail it down. I need you to understand whether it's intentional or not, just how bad his situation was so that when what God does is just so significant and that's why Jonah is so thankful. So the earth and its bars were around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit. You have caused me to ascend, to, to rise up, to climb up out of the pit. Oh Lord, my God. It's one of those moments that sometimes people will call but God moments. Like, you know, I'm going through this hard time, it was a bad place and it was really tough, really tough and all this bad thing, but God showed up and either he answered the, 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 the situation or he used the situation to grow our faith. Those but God moments are just so precious, you guys. So absolutely precious. They get us really, go, get us through a lot of times what we're going through. I remember this moment one time where um, uh, I was uh, trying to going out for a, a position and everything was, it was set up in place. We're going to do go into the position and Brianna just had Liam. So we have a newborn and um, he, a few weeks into his, uh, um, into when he, when he was born a few weeks, he was only a few weeks old. He got like 104 or five degree fever. And so we had to take him to the children's, it was chalk children's hospital. And uh, they did a spinal tap. They did a whole bunch of things and really hard to see your little baby whose veins were so small that every time they tried to put an IV, it kept on rupturing the veins all over his body. And um, that was a hard time. Um, but what made it also even more hard is, you know, you, uh, not, I mean, that was hard in itself, but uh, on top of that, I was going to get this job. We were going to, we were, but then the, the, the job basically they, they through some situations that were happening in the organizations, they said, sorry, we can't offer you this full time. We're going to have to do it only part time. And it was actually in another state. I'm like, I can't move my family over there and think we're going to survive. Especially it was a pretty expensive, it was in Washington, pretty expensive place to live and on a part time. I, I mean, I couldn't do that. Plus we have medical bills right now with my little boy. And so it was really tough financially. And, um, you know, God was pulled through with, with Liam. Obviously he's fine. Um, it was just a simple found out. It was just like he had reflux, which is just like, just ended up. It was anyways, he, he grew out of it. Really, it was fine. Um, but we were having trouble paying some bills. And particularly it was our car payment. We had already postponed it because I didn't have enough money to pay it. So we didn't have any fees, but it was like they only gave you like one grace postponement. And it was like within a couple of days, it was gonna, I was gonna have to pay it online. And I'm like, Lord, I don't even have it. I don't know what's gonna go on. I'm gonna get defaulted on. You know, I was just all these things just like, uh. So we prayed. It was okay, Lord, you know the situation. We're gonna trust you. So kind of days, a couple of days go by, a few days go by. We kind of forget the thing. We're moving forward. And then uh, I go outside and I look into the mailbox and there's a letter from an old mentor of mine who I hadn't seen in a while. And I opened the card and he's like, hey, Brian, just been thinking about you, was praying and doing some devotional and you came to my mind and felt like the Lord wanted me to send you something. And so here's a check. And it was a check that covered exactly that amount. And then some, it was like $10 over. But that was a but God moment. Like in, the, in a really bad situation, God showed up in a really cool way. And so that moment was very, very precious to me. You know, at that moment, God answered yes to our prayer, which we were so thankful for. But we were also prepared to, if God said no, 
We knew God was still going to use it for his glory and for our good. But years down the line, when we go through, went through another little rough patch, it was those but God moments that were just so amazing to go through. In fact, I wrote them in my journal, just all these but God moments. And I wrote it all to my kids. So if I die, they can read the journal and say, kids, this is what happened. When your mom and I, when we were just dating, this happened, but God. Oh, and this would happen when Liam was born, but God. This would happen when we were financially struggling, but God. Those are just amazing gems. And I encourage you, take out those gems and polish them off occasionally. Those but God moments are just amazing, so encouraging. So, Paul, so Jonah says, but you, God, brought my up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Verse seven, while I was fainting away, literally as I was, as my soul was languishing, as I was becoming overwhelmed, as I was losing strength. Some of you, again, you can agree. You're going through a a season right now and you feel like you're just fainting away. It's like almost you're losing consciousness almost. It's just that, that intense, that stressful. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Now the word he uses for remember doesn't mean that Jonah forgot the Lord and all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I I know God exists. The word he's using there is bringing something to mind what is already known. Jonah knows God. He knows who God is, but he's bringing God to mind. He's, He's focusing his thoughts and attentions on God. I remember the Lord. Again, this is something that we, we would do well to remember the Lord, not just in those bad times, but always. You know, what tends to happen is when the going gets tough, that's when we remember the Lord. It's like, well, I need the, that spiritual support, so I'm going to take God off the shelf, and I'm, you know, now I, I need him. But when everything is okay and we get past this rough patch, okay, God, now I'm going to pack you up nicely into your box and I'm going to place you back on the shelf. We're, we've got this. The truth is we, we, we really should be remembering the Lord a lot more than just that, just in, in, during the times of crisis. But here he says, while I was fading away, I remember the Lord. I, I, I brought the Lord back to my attention and my prayers came to you. Again, the idea of praying. Your prayers don't just go into this endless void. It goes to a loving God. I prayed and my prayers came to you into your holy temple. Now, verses eight and nine are a little bit interesting. For me, I have a hard time reading this without a little bit of pessimism. And I'll get to that in a moment. Even though what Jonah is... uh, what Jonah's going to say is, is true. There's something about, especially in verse nine, that leads me to think that Jonah just is still not there. He, he gets it a little bit, but he doesn't, he's just not there. So verse eight, it says, those who regard, regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. The, the word for regard is the idea of to watch over, to, to preserve, to take care, to, to treat as like precious, you know, it's like a, a gardener has a garden and it's like making sure that garden is, is, is taken care of. It's precious to them. And the way it's put grammatically, it's like they're not just regarding once. This is, this is a part of their life. They, those who are regarding are constantly devoting their lives to vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Now, the word vain is the, is the Hebrew word hebel, which uh, is used over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. It, it literally means this vapor this mist. And it's used to refer to something that has no, 
significant, something that's not sustainable, something that's not, uh, doesn't benefit you. I mean, you could see a mist, you could see a fog and you could see it, you could, but you can't really touch it, right? You can't put it in a bottle and keep it and it's not gonna do you any good. That's, that's Hebel, it's vanity. Idols, the word used for idols is actually not the specific word that's typically used for these carved images that people would worship, but it is a word that is normally ascribed to idols. And so here in the NASB, they've translated it as idol, but the word itself literally means worthless, emptiness, or false. She says, those who regard, those who devote themselves to useless nothings, to vain emptiness. You know, and, and that's really what idols are. Idols are not these things that are beneficial. They're, they're just, they're nothing. It's this vain, meaningless, futile, empty vanity, worthless things. Forsake their faithfulness. It's literally, they, they abandon, they reject, they let go, they let loose uh, their faithfulness. Faithfulness, the word faithfulness is the Hebrew word chesed, which typically is ascribed to how God deals with his covenant people of Israel. It, it, and it's, it's one of those words that's very hard to nail down with just one word because it, it refers to much more than just faithfulness. It's a, it's a steadfastness. It's a love that is unfailing. It's a devotion that is unending. It is, it is not just a, a, a lip service kind of love. It is an active kind of love, a, a, a love that has mercy and kindness, a love that pres- preserves and protects and intervenes. That's chesed. And so what, what, what Jonah is saying is like those who live their lives, devoting their lives to these worthless nothings, these idols that are nothing, reject experiencing that, that chesed in their life, that unfailing love in their life. And you could say, okay, yeah, I, I, I don't see anything wrong. The Bible makes it really clear. Pursuing idols is, is a waste of time. So then we got to ask ourselves, what are our idols, right? It's like, you can't just talk about idols and not go there, right? Every pastor, that's like a pastor number 101. You talk about idols, talk about your idols, you know? You got to go there. What are your idols? What are the things in your life that just you can't live without? What are the things that, that you find meaning and significance in when it should come only from God? Where is it? Is it in your bank account? Is it it in your family and friends? As much as as a blessing as family and friends are, but do you find yourself saying, I can't live without my family and friends? I can't, I I find ultimate meaning and significance in my family and friends. Unfortunately, if that's the case for you, you've taken a good thing and made it a God thing, which has now turned it into a bad thing. You've turned it into an idol. We've got to wrestle with the things. You know, idols are not just those little wooden stone figures that we pray to or anything. It could be anything. And when we devote our lives to those, those idols, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. They're, they're useless. They're empty vanities. And when we do, when we serve those idols and follow after those idols, we're, we're missing out on experiencing God's favor in our lives, God's direction in our lives. Now we get to verse nine and here I get a little bit pessimistic here. 
He says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Again, Jonah's, Jonah's very honest. He's very thankful. He was in a bad place. God showed up. He's very thankful. That makes sense. With a voice of thanksgiving, that which I have vowed, that which I've consecrated, promised to God, I will pay. The word for pay is to finish or to complete, to fulfill, to make good. Most commentators will look at this and say, see, this is evidence of Jonah's repentance. He's changed his mind. He's, he's going to make good on his claim. And for, to an extent, yes, we see that in, in, in Jonah chapter 3. He's going to c- fulfill what God commissions him to do. But I can't help. Again, we're reading Jonah in, in its context. The Jonah that we see in chapter 1, this pathetic prophet, rebellious guy, is the same guy we see at the very end. And so, yeah, there, there was a little bit of a change, but really there was not that much. And when we look here, Jonah's saying, those who regard vain idols. Who are the those? We can think, well, it's, those, it's the pagan sailors because they started calling out to their gods. Yeah, but eventually they also called out to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. Who else could it be? Well, in a, a simple answer, everyone else besides Jonah. Everyone else besides his, his people. All those people. All those people out there who, who go after worthless idols, these vain nothings. They forsake. They reject. They abandon experiencing God's chesed in their life. But I, but I sacrifice to God. I make good on my vows. And again, I read this again with pessimism because what we're going to see in chapter four, what's, what's revealed in, in the, the real reason why Jonah doesn't obey God really is connected on who he believes deserves mercy and who he believes doesn't. And so here it's almost like he's saying, those people do this. They reject God's chesed but I sacrifice. I'm going to make my vow good. So again, regardless, again, I could say step on the side. That's kind of my take on it. But then he ends right on point. He says, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is not from all the gods and goddesses. Salvation is not from your willpower. Salvation doesn't come from the help of family and friends. Salvation is from the Lord. It's only the Lord's. This is very exclusive for, for the people outside of the Christian faith. This is what bothers them. Salvation is only found in the Lord. Are you kidding me? It's not found in all these other faiths and these other perspectives and these other uh, philosophies. No, salvation, true salvation, help, deliverance, rescue is only from the Lord. And verse 10, it says, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now, again, commentators will say, See, because of Jonah's repentance, because of his prayer, now Jonah gets out of the whale. It doesn't say that. It's just giving us some details here. What happened? Jonah was in the belly of the fish. He prays in the belly of the fish. How does he get out of the belly of the fish? The Lord commands the fish, gets spewed up. You know, not necessarily what I would have wanted, but hey, he gets out. Again, irony here. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, arise and go. Jonah says, no way. 
he runs away. He doesn't obey God. God sets up a fish, commands that fish to swallow Jonah. The fish obeys. God comes to the fish, commands the fish to vomit Jonah out. What does the fish do? Obeys. It's kind of very ironic. Here's the, the prophet of the Lord, and a fish is better, more obedient than the prophet. But anyways, salvation is of the Lord. I want to kind of focus on that. Every year, every year, even now, uh, around Yom Kippur, Jewish people from around the world, all over, get into their synagogues and their, their places of worship, and, and they read the story of Jonah. Every, every year around Yom Kippur. And many of them, after they read it, recite the phrase, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. And when you think about it, that's very true for us. We are Jonah. Jonah heard the word of the Lord. We open up this book, we hear a word from the Lord. The word of the Lord commanded Jonah to go do something. We hear the word of the Lord that commands us how to live and what to do and how to behave as a citizen of his kingdom. And how do we respond? We're like Jonah. We're like Jonah. Jonah, you know, um, it's easy for us to read the book of Jonah and just point our fingers and say, look, Jonah, you're pathetic. Look at you. I mean, you, what you profess and how you live is just so weird and, and you're disobedient and you're so foolish, Jonah. We're Jonah. How many of us are sat foolish as well? Again, we, we could point our fingers, judge Jonah. Oh, Jonah's so bad. Are we no different? Do we not profess things? Do we not profess amazing truths from God's word? And yet our lives have, don't live up to that? We're like Jonah. But more specifically, more significantly, I would say, we are Jonah when it comes to our salvation. We are like Jonah when it comes to our salvation. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. As a bit of a trailer, you guys, after the book of Jonah, we're going to just dive right into this letter, the book of Ephesians. It's a great letter. Really talk about our identity in Christ. But here, when we come to Ephesians chapter 2, here Paul is doing kind of almost compare and contrast. Kind of, this is who you used to be prior to being in Christ, prior to being a follower of Jesus. This is who you used to be. Now, to let you guys know, um, this is uh, the NASB. I purchased an NASB version of the Bible. I didn't realize it's the 2020 version. Most of you guys probably have the 1995. So I just want to let you guys know there may be some differences, but don't freak out. I'm not reading like a pagan version or something like that. But I just want to let you guys know because it might be a little bit different. And I, I didn't know that. I was reading it. People were like, it's so different. I'm like, CNASB. But then it's like, oh, it's 2020. Okay, well, here we go. Anyways, uh, starting at verse one. So here, again, Paul is talking to followers of Christ, saying this is who you used to be apart from Christ. And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world or the pattern of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit in, that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you're in a, you were in a bad place. Apart from Christ, you were in a really ugly situation. Among them, we too all, all 
previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. So you're talking about prior to Christ, you were in a bad situation. On top of that, it wasn't just a bad situation. It was a hopeless situation. You were by nature children of wrath, deserving, individuals deserving because of our sins, deserving of the righteous judgment of God. Verse four, but God, there's one of those but God moments, but God being rich, lavished in mercy because of his great love with which he loves us. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. It was all through God's favor. And raised us up with him and seated us with him, with Christ, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus Verse seven, so that in ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Through faith, through your trust, through your devotion to Christ. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of the results of works so that no one may boast. So Jonah in this prayer, he talks about, I was in distress I was in the depths, the bowels of Sheol. I wasn't just at the gates. I was deep in there. He says the gates of the the, the bars, the gates closed in on me. I won't be able to worship in the Lord's temple. The, the, The weeds were wrapping around me. The winds, waves were pounding, pummeling me. It's a very bad situation, hopeless situation. The end result, he's going to die. For us, apart from Christ, we were in the exact same situation, spiritually speaking. We were in a bad place. We were in an absolutely hopeless place. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. That doesn't mean that we couldn't make any decision to follow Christ. What it means is that we were just, we were sinners. To make it really simple, we are sinners by choice. And because of that sin, we're deserving of judgment. Or as as Paul brings up, wrath. Why? Because God is a holy God. God's a good God. God's a just God. And some people will will argue and say, well, you know, I I heard somewhere that, you know, if you do a good deed, it erases a bad deed. So I'm going to do a whole bunch of good deeds to erase the bad deeds. That doesn't work. If God's a just God, God has to deal with sin. So all of us are going to stand before God. And to give an account for our lives. If we're not in Christ, we're still in our sin and we are objects of wrath. We're going to receive that righteous justice in our life, that judgment from, from, from God. So, and there's no way to get out of it. You can't do good stuff to get out of it. You can't pray a bunch of little prayers on a book and and get yourself out of it. You can't do a number of good things to get you out of it. You're in a hopeless situation, but God sent Jesus to live the life you and I can never live. He lived a perfect life. He died and took on himself the punishment that our sin rightfully deserves to offer us salvation as a free gift. That just needs to be received, received through faith. You guys, we are Jonah. If you notice, Jonah was thankful. 
he recognized where he was. And we could easily read and say, Jonah, you didn't deserve any of this. You didn't deserve to be rescued out of that water. You didn't deserve to, you didn't deserve definitely in chapter three to get a second chance. Truth is, neither do we. Neither do we. But God stepped in. We are like Jonah. It's amazing, amazing truth. And so getting back to that song that we sang, Redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Can you honestly sing that? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Do you honestly love to proclaim it? Do you honestly realize the significance of your salvation? Paul says in Colossians that our salvation, he's, because of our salvation, he's removed us out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. I mean, that's, that's huge. How can we not be thankful? How can we not rejoice over that? How can we not proclaim it to the rest of the world? We need to be like Jonah in the sense of recognizing where we were, what God did, and be thankful, proclaim. But we also need to be a little better than Jonah. We definitely need to be better than Jonah. Let's go ahead and pray because... Again, I don't know. There's a lot of things that were discussed in this, in this chapter. And again, if, um, if you are not a follower of Christ, I just would like, encourage you, plead with you, don't waste another moment. Don't waste another moment. Uh, if you are not in Christ, you're in a very hopeless situation. You are like Jonah, drowning in, a wa- in the sea that you cannot get yourself out of. I would encourage you to turn your life over to, uh, to Christ, to put your face, place, place your faith in Christ. Uh, for some of you also, um, oh no, Mike is okay. You can just, well, I'll, I'll do the song. Thank you so much. I, I, I so much enjoy the, 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 the band. They just are so loyal and um, bring, 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 bring with joy. But uh, where was I? Thank you, Mike, for just, for completely getting my mind. No, it's fine. No, no, no. Uh, for some of you, when, when it comes to the idea of distress and being in the depths of Sheol, I don't know where you guys are at in your life, if you are struggling. And, um, and so what I'd like to do, is I'm gonna go ahead and pray. Pray for those who have not yet put their faith in Christ and also pray for you guys if you're going through that distress, going through the depths of Sheol. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, first off, uh, we wanna thank you for your word. It is... Uh, it's a simple passage, only 10 verses long, but just chock full of some amazing truth that is easily um, missed if we don't take time to really understand it, really see the significance of it. Jonah saw the significance of your salvation. He realized that he was completely hopeless apart from you. And Lord, that's this true with everyone else in this room. There, there are people maybe in this room, maybe I'm watching online who have never placed their faith in Christ. And Lord, the reality is that that they're exactly where Jonah was, in the middle of that sea, that spiritual dead sea, just overwhelming them, crushing them, bringing them further down, 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 no hope whatsoever. But Lord, you came in, you stepped in and you sent Jesus and you brought salvation and it's a free gift that's that's easy to receive. We don't have to go through a ritual. We don't have to go through a, a rite of passage. We just simply... Proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior and follow him all the rest of our lives. And we receive salvation. 
It's an amazing truth. And so I, I pray for those individuals who may be still sitting on the fence, uh, just still wrapping their head around this whole Jesus thing. And Lord, that they would recognize that their life is a vapor. It's here, it's gone. And they're going to stand before the creator God. They're gonna stand before you. You are the righteous judge. And if they're still in their sins, it's not gonna go well for them. And they cannot blame you for it because you are just doing, you are just behaving and doing what, who you are. You are a holy God. You are a righteous God. You are a just God. And so no one, no one could negotiate with you. No one could give excuses. So I pray, Lord, that they would make that decision today. I pray today would be that day that, uh, I pray just as Jonah no doubt felt, you know, as he was spewed out onto that beach, you know, no, no doubt it was probably yuck, but the relief that he felt of being free, being able to take a deep breath, almost like he's being born again, as it were. May these individuals, Lord, choose you, be born again and experience new life in you and right away start seeing your work in their life, changing their hearts, changing their desires. Lord, I, I pray uh, for, um, what is it, uh, those in our, in our congregation, even those on, online who are uh, dealing with uh, struggles right now, Lord. They, 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 they can amen exactly what Jonah was feeling. They feel like they're sinking in a, in a sea. Waves are just pummeling over them. They, they're, they're losing heart. They're, 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 they're languishing. They're fainting away. The issue, that they're, the issue or issues that they're dealing with are just overwhelming. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that they would receive that peace that passes all understanding. I pray that they would recognize the privilege of being able to come to you in prayer to come to you, the heavenly father who listens to us and responds. May they be encouraged by that. Maybe they be encouraged by the but God moments of their past. May you give them the strength to carry on, to move forward, trusting you, Lord, because ultimately you're the one who, when you respond to our prayers, you're the one who's gonna give us the answer and it's it's. It's a part of your will. We want your will to be done. Even if, if it is not the answer we want or it's not the time frame that we would expect, that we would continue to trust you and go to you first, not as a last resort. Lord, thank you again for saving us, for rescuing us. And as we sing this last song, Lord, it's a song really of confession, it's even though Jonah doesn't specifically confess his sins, Lord, he's, he kind of alludes to it. Lord, this next song is, 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 a, is a song of just, Lord, give us clean hands. Lord, we, we, what we profess, sometimes we don't carry out. We don't live. And Lord, we want you to change our hearts. We want to be better than Jonah. So we thank you again for this time and, Praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.